the majority of people who don't come to church have never been invited. And it is our job to invite them. The, the truth is, I don't know a person who doesn't want to be welcomed, uh, who doesn't want to be wanted, and who doesn't desire to, at some level, see, experience, feel loved. And when you and I go out of our way and, and really risk something that, that uh, we hold very dear, um, our own protection, when we risk that to invite someone to gather with us for church, uh, it will make a difference. Already this week, uh, in fact, Sunday last week, when, when uh, many of you texted those ones that God has put in your heart and your life, you texted them and invited them to come to church. Many of you almost immediately came up to me uh, uh, that morning or that afternoon and you said, hey, listen, the person I invited, they said, yeah, I want to come. So I want to encourage you. There are people around you that are just waiting for an invitation. Here at the altar, we have uh, little wristbands that can be car- conversation starters. We have these cards, invite cards that you can find at, at every entrance here at the front. Uh, let's invite people like we've never invited people before. So not, not so that they can come see a show, not so that they can uh, see um, this, that, but so that they can em- encounter Christ and perhaps prayerfully, uh, perhaps their lives be changed forever by his love. And we all want to taste uh, the love that, that, uh, uh, that will satisfy our soul. We all want to be loved. And, and today as we come to Mark chapter 15, we're going to see how that this love that we always wanted has been unleashed for eternity on our, in our world. And it's an unusual picture of love. And, and really, when I was younger and I would hear that that uh, the cross is the picture of God's love was kind of confusing to me because the cross was like ugly and God's love should be pretty. Um, and as I began to think and pray and as, as I kind of grew up a little bit more, I, I began to understand, no, this is what love really looks like. Uh, true love, the test of a powerful, life-changing love is sacrifice. And this sacrifice that we find in Mark chapter 15 uh, and in all the Gospels, this sacrifice is the God of the universe dying for others, for people like you and me. So in Mark chapter 15, uh, the 47 verses of this chapter detail the the arrest, the trial, uh, the... uh, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, certainly we can uh, go through each aspect. He's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, betrayed by Judas. Uh, he goes before the Sanhedrin, the religious court of his day. He's charged with heresy. They take him to Pot, uh, Pontius Pilate, who uh, asks him point blank, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus' response says, as you say. And, and, and it's a kind of enigmatic response. It, it in some ways, Jesus is saying, yes, I am the king of the Jews, but, but reality is he's not the king of the Jews the way Pilate thought of him to be king of the Jews. 
He's the king of the Jews, uh, the Messiah, the anointed one that had come to die. To, to give his life for people like you and me. Uh, he's arrested. He's, he, he's uh, standing before Pontius Pilate. Pilate really sees no fault in him. Uh, goes before the crowd. Who would you have? Uh, would you have Jesus or would you have Barabbas? And they say, give us Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Kill him. And so Pilate prepares Jesus, beats Jesus some more. The soldiers beat him some more. And then they take him through the streets of Jerusalem all the way to the hill called Golgotha where they fix him to a beam of wood and they lift him up to die. And as he hangs there, dying, he is fulfilling God's perfect plan to unleash his love to you and me. You see, Jesus unleashed his love that gives us life through his own death. And that is the picture of the cross. The, the, the great statement of the cross is that God loves you and me so much that he would pay the penalty for our sin. This is what love looks like. In a few weeks, we're going uh, to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and, and uh, it's a, a, a sermon series where we're going to detail what love is. And, uh, and we're going to try to figure that out uh, according to Scripture. But, but this is what love is. Jesus dying for sinners. Got to tell you, this message is not a lot of bells and whistles. It's kind of, it's kind of uh, a sermon that you've heard before. And I was thinking and, and, and to myself, if, you know, uh, if a preacher can't preach a message about the cross, he might as well hang them up and go somewhere else. Do something different. Because really, this is the core of our message. The Apostle Paul said, I've come preaching nothing to you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Guys, this is the core of who we are as believers. This is the core of what we are as a church. This is the message. That we deliver, that we declare, that we need to live each day. That Jesus unleashed love in my life and for us so that we might live because of his death, through his death. I want us to focus in, uh, as we look at this love, I, I want us to focus in on one great verse. This great cry from Christ in Mark chapter 15, verse 33 and 34 says when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and at the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani which is translated my God my God why have you forsaken me now why would Jesus make this cry why, why, was, why, why, why was this his cry as he as he prepares to breathe his last why is this the statement? Because in that moment, Jesus understood for the very first time in all of eternity what it meant to be separated from God. Jesus in his humanity 
for the very first time, experienced the displeasure of God. Why have you forsaken me? That question is, is not the question that, 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 uh, that someone would cry thinking that there should be rescue. Jesus wasn't saying, why aren't you rescuing me? He was, he was declaring, God, I know that now you've turned your face from me. And I've never experienced that before. And why did God turn his face from Jesus? Because in that moment, Jesus took the sin of humanity upon himself. In that moment, Jesus unleashed love for people like you and me who did not deserve it. In that moment, Jesus became our sacrifice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To understand the, the significance of that cry, we need, to, we need to look over in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, we, we have this great passage that, uh, where the Apostle Paul describes clearly what was happening here on the cross and what it means for us. In Proverbs chapter 5, I want to begin in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that Tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Now, verse 6 tells the story. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man, someone may dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In this great demonstration of love, Christ dies for us. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus unleashes this love. Uh, The apostle John said it this way in 1 John. He said, in this is love. This is what love looks like. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. Here is love unleashed for all eternity. And Jesus died for us. We all want to know what love is. We all want to taste love. We all want to, that, we all want to, to experience that soul-saturating, life-giving, satisfying love. A love that will do more than just touch our life for a moment. We want a love that will transform our life forever. And that's the love that God unleashes for us through Christ on a cross. A love, a love that will satisfy you fully, completely, forever. It is a love 
that sets us free. It's a love that sets us free. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in that moment that Jesus was doing great battle. He was was overcoming the chains that had shackled sinners, the evil that had condemned sinners to a destiny of judgment in hell. He was doing great battle, not only with death, but with the devil himself. It was in that moment that Jesus was doing battle to set us free. Cassie Holcomb uh, read earlier Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Listen again, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Writer of Hebrews declares, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, to release those, to set free those. And Jesus was on the cross doing battle with the devil and with death and with evil itself so that he might set us free from the shackles that have chained us to despair and despondency, ultimately to condemnation. Friends, when Jesus died upon a cross, he was dying to set us free. The writer uh, the writer uh, Paul uh, wrote uh, the letter to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive. He set us free. In Christ Jesus, by grace, you have been set free. Today, we can live in the freedom that only Jesus can provide because of this great love unleashed. Jesus did battle. And died so that we might be free to live. Jesus took the worst of us. Jesus rescued us from the worst of us so that we might live. Today, are you living that set free life. I wonder if you are. I I know what it's like to live in bondage, don't you? I I know what it's like to to take the chains that Jesus has shattered and put them back upon my wrists and my feet and my heart and my soul. I know what that's like. The, The question that we have to answer as believers, are we living in this set free kind of life that Jesus has loved us toward? And Jesus died So that we might be set free. Are we living in that freedom? Many times we don't. Now listen to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The apostle Paul declares, There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free, set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He killed sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Did you get verse one? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, the amazing love of Jesus unleashed upon us through his death on the cross, sets us free. Free from condemnation. Sets us free to live in intimacy with God. Sets us free to live in intimacy with God. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified with Christ, we are at peace with God. We have relationship with God. We're set free to to live in immediate intimacy with the living God. Something that we couldn't do before. We're set free. We're set free to live in harmony with one another. To live in relationship as brothers and sisters, as family. That's Ephesians 2 verses 13 and following. Friends, Jesus was doing more than just dying on a cross. He was initiating this great transaction of grace and God's amazing love that will change our life and set us free. It's a love that sets us free. It's a love that makes us right. And we need a love that will make us right. So, so much of our life is, is lived in a hot mess. Can, can you agree with that? How many times this week have your decisions, your choices, your rebellion, your pride, how many times this week have we created a mess for ourselves by the choices we make? And I, I've looked at my life so often and, and you know, I, there, there are people that tell me I'm broken. You don't have to tell me. I know. I know. God gave me four daughters. <laughs> my wife's sitting here, so she's not in that crowd. No, she's my great encourager. Uh, no, I, look, I, I understand. There, there are broken pieces in my life. What about you? I mean, would you be willing to acknowledge that there are parts of your life that need to be fixed and need to be made right? See, ultimately on the cross, what Jesus was accomplishing was this amazing, wondrous act of love by which he takes all of his right and gives it to us. And he takes all of our wrong and he dies for it. You get the picture? Here's, here's what love looks like. That Jesus takes all of his perfections 
all that is right. And he gives it to us. And he takes all of our imperfections and he dies for it. Here's the picture. That Jesus in a great transaction of this wondrous love He takes all of his holiness and righteousness and he offers it to us so that we might be fit for heaven and made right with God. And he takes all of our sin and he dies for it. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's the picture. The picture of love is not that we pay Jesus dues or will pay him dues so that he might forgive us. Here's the picture of love. That Jesus took our sin willingly and freely and died for it and in that same moment he took all of his righteousness and he offers it to us not based upon how religious you are not based upon how good you are at getting good but simply based upon his heart of love see This is true love, perfect love, because this is the only love, the only love of its kind in the universe, in all of eternity, that can take the mess of my life and make it acceptable to God. By the way, if you want to know the name of point number one, it's called the ransom theory or Christus Victor. The name of this one um, is uh, the, uh, uh, it's Anselm's theory, Cur Humius. It's it's a picture of uh, we need, it's satisfaction. God needs satisfaction for our sin. We've done sin. We need to pay the price. But Jesus pays it for us. And when it's all said and done, though, Jesus dying on a cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a love that is personal and very specific. See, Jesus didn't die in general for an anonymous mass of people. But Jesus died specifically and intentionally for sinners like you and me. When Jesus died, he was was suffering for Eric Thomas. When Jesus died, he was dying for sinners who would repent and believe on him. Friends, make no mistake, Jesus was intentional. You know, I can stand up here and 
I can say, you know, I love you guys. And at one level, I really mean that. I, I do. I love you guys. But some of y'all sitting there and you say, well, you don't even know me. How can you love me? And you would be right as well. But it's different when I get down off here and I go up to no, Susan. <laughs> and I say, boy, I love you. I know her by name. I say, I love you. That's different. Jeff, I love you. That's a different ball game, isn't it? And Ray, I love you. That's a whole different animal. When Jesus died on a cross, it wasn't just this general, I love you. It was Jesus looking through the corridor of time and seeing you. All the crimes that we had done. All the sin of our soul. He's saying, I love you. I give my life for you. And Jesus became that suffering servant on our behalf. And God laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Here's love. Unleashed in a very personal and powerful and transforming way that God loves me. So much so that Jesus died for me and took the guilt and the condemnation and the penalty that my sin demands and he killed it on a cross so that I might live as we gather here today I wonder how many of us are living in this wondrous love. As followers of Christ, my question to us today is, are, are, are we choosing this great love to define our lives? Are, are, we, are we choosing this greatest of all loves to define how we relate to one another and how we live in every single moment of our life? Are, are, are we, are we uh, choosing this love, God's amazing love given to us at Christ by Christ as he dies on a cross? Are we, are we allowing this love to shape our view of ourselves, our view of others, our, our view of the world? Today, God has given us, as his people, this wonderful love. Not only to saturate our hearts, but to share with one another. Can I ask you? Can I meddle just a little bit? Today, if you had to take the test of John 13, 34, and 35, would you pass? You know the test? 
Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. This morning, would you pass the test? As those of us who have been saturated and satisfied by this wondrous love, are we loving one another the way Christ has loved us? As followers of Christ, are we living in this love? Are we sharing this love? You know, we invite people to Easter gathering not so we can have a crowd. You, you realize that. It's not so that we can boast in numbers. It's not so that we can have overflow. We invite people to gather with us Easter so that they might meet Jesus and be transformed by this same love that has transformed our life. Are you sharing this love? Maybe you're here today and You need to know this love. You have come here and, man, you're looking for love and you're longing for love and you're desperate for love, but you have not tasted this love. You've been choosing um, things, the kind of love that will touch your life maybe for a moment, but leave you unsatisfied for the long run. And today in your heart, you know that Jesus offers you a love that will change your life forever. And you're here this morning, and you want that wondrous love. So I invite you to choose Jesus today. By faith, embrace him and his death on the cross as payment for your sin so that you might live You're here today and you need to meet Jesus. You need to taste that love that he offers. I invite you to cross the line of faith and become a follower of Christ today. And be changed forever. We long, we long to know love. We long to be loved and that longing is completely satisfied by Jesus Christ dying on a cross in our place